Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody who understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things we can do for people and the planet. My name is Kevin Fulta and I'm the host of the podcast. A few months ago, I found myself in South Australia in the town of Adelaide. And there was something happening there about the release of a moratorium on GM crops that seemed horribly arbitrary. This moratorium was put in place and was due to be lifted. And we'll speak with our guest today about that. Um, Our guest today is Caroline Rhodes. And Caroline is the CEO of Grain Producers South South Australia. Uh, Hey, Caroline, how are you doing? Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, I usually don't timestamp these things too much. Morning where you are, night where I am. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a Thanksgiving night and we just had a beautiful... um, Moon, Venus, and Saturn all together. So that was really cool. So let me t- ask you about um, a couple things about this moratorium. Remind us again, you know, we did a little bit on this a few weeks ago, but when did this moratorium begin and why? Great question, because I think a lot of people scratch their heads trying to understand how we even got to this position. In Australia, we have national legislation that protects and uh, regulates for human health and environment any GM material, whether that be used in the lab and then obviously right through to commercialisation. So that's been put in place since 2000. Um, At the same time, when GM canola varieties were due to be released through that national regulatory process, state governments decided that uh, there may be market risk associated with that and that was really drummed up by a lot of the anti GM movement that seized upon new varieties, the fact that we had major chemical companies releasing herbicide-tolerant canola. And really it was quite perplexing at the time because Australia had successfully pioneered GM cotton and that was widely grown. It was developed by the CSIRO, which is a government-led scientific agency, and there really hadn't been any consumer backlash and, in fact, you know, environmentally had huge success in reducing pesticide use and improving productivity. So canola was considered to be different because it was a food crop. So what happened in South Australia is that there was an inquiry in our state parliament that looked at how South Australia might need to manage any perceived market risk and came up with a legislative framework that was actually only ever supposed to be temporary. So it was put in place 
while the industry got its act together. So labelling laws, the market segregation strategies that might be in place, non-GM and GM uh, identity preservation strategies, um, quality specifications, a whole range of operational and commercial matters. It was never about the science. So fast forward, how is it that we've still got this remnant legislation in place? It was due to expire and through a series of extensions to the sunset clause under Parliament, um, what we've seen is that the moratorium be extended beyond its useful life. And we had a change of government about 18 months ago. They came to government and promised to do a review, and that review found that the moratorium had, in fact, cost the industry uh, $33 million in direct cost and then obviously a huge amount of opportunity cost and also identified that what it had actually done is stifle any uh, of our research um, in developing new GM crops so and also damaging the reputation of, of our research community here. So the report was quite conclusive. So the government went ahead and followed the process that's laid out in the Act that looked at ways to declared GM-free areas and that was identified to a very tiny part of South Australia. And there was consultation, there was advice taken from an advisory committee, a big, another parliamentary inquiry. We got to the point where the regulations were tabled, everything was looking tickety-boo and then in the 11th hour what we've had is, um, I guess, an assault on on good science and also on economics where we've had a, a big group mobilise um, to basically put the fear of God into a number of politicians about what this would mean um, and in doing so a number of politicians chose to disallow that regulation. So that vote went through on Wednesday night. What that means is my growers who had expected to be able to choose whether or not to put GM canola into the ground next uh, season won't be allowed to do that. Well, it's mostly about GM canola, as you say, but what's really strange about this to me is that this crop grows in South Australia, but also grows in Victoria, which is a you know neighboring state. And there are farmers who can grow on one side of the street, but are disallowed on the other side of the street. And there's so many strange edges to this. And what are the main reasons why the people who are against it state that there's a problem with allowing it? I think there's been a general um, movement here in Australia about the fear of GM and really, you know, it's been 15 years now we've had this in place and at the time it was thought that given the potential consumer backlash that somehow a marketing advantage could be developed for the food industry and agriculture here in South Australia by remaining GM free. Of course, that doesn't take into account, as you said, Kevin, the fact that you can literally stand in a paddock and look across and see your neighbour's jam canola crop or the fact that, you know, we've got uh, free movement of um, of GM material in all of mainland Australia apart from South Australia and we've got this situation where um, much has been made about a generic marketing advantage. Now, that was the purpose of that independent review was to look at that and it really debunked that. You've got labelling laws, you've got product testing. So any claim that's ever made on a processed food manufactured in South Australia means that any testing needs to be done. Now, the organic industry is thriving out of South Australia. Uh, we've got non-GM 
uh, grain that's grown all across mainland Australia. So that notion that somehow that there is an inherent market advantage just doesn't relate to reality. Well, the really funny part that I learned when I was there is that a lot of growers in South Australia are using trizine-based herbicide tolerance. So it's a genetic mutation that allows the plant to grow in the presence of a different herbicide. So they can't use the genetically engineered version, but they're using something else that has a genetic mutation that allows them to grow it. And it's at a, it's at a, it seems to be, at least people I talk to, at a significant yield penalty. And so it's, you're still using something that it has a genetic change from the regular, and you're still using herbicides. It just seems to be just such a counterintuitive uh, move to be able to do this. And so what is the general feeling of farmers who are in that region and what they are allowed to choose to grow on their farms? Well, I think, you know, that's a very good point. And it comes down to the way the federal regulatory scheme is set up. So, um, Trizine tolerant varieties are considered to be non-GM for the purpose of that. So they're freely grown. Um, in terms of growers looking at different varieties, I mean, this is central to our argument, is that growers make these decisions every single day of the week. They look at their environment, they take agronomic advice, they consider their marketing advantages, and they make decisions to adopt particular varieties. And in fact, GM canola should be no different. And, you know, we back our farm sector to make those decisions. So I think in terms of the way that farmers are looking at that, they're kind of perplexed where a group of politicians that are based here in inner city Adelaide would know better than, you know, their their own farming community who are actually carving a livelihood out of growing grain. So I think growers are really starting to understand that this is actually about politics. It's not about policy. It's not about what's right. It is just a legacy political argument and we're going to keep pursuing this because, to your point, I think, you know, the, the farmers that you met and, you know, the industry that we have here, we're one of the major exports in, industries out of South Australia. Um, you know, we've, we're a sophisticated and really economically important industry and I think we should just trust our farmers and, in fact, the entire supply chain to continue to deliver what the product and what the market wants. So we don't need this level of market intervention, but it really does come back to that sort of ideology that somehow um, where you could have state legislation put in place to ban commercial cultivation would somehow create a market advantage. Well, you mentioned effects on research and the research community. What are the documented effects on the research that's being performed in the region based upon this moratorium? Well, it's a point of great frustration because South Australia is actually home to the biggest uh, food and agribusiness research precinct at the Wake campus. It's world-renowned. So we've got a really strong and a really proud history here in South Australia in developing agricultural research, and that includes plant breeding. A lot of our wheat uh, varieties that are growing now have been developed right five kilometres from the midi- middle of the city at the Wake campus. So it really is quite perplexing to the research community that is you know, has the respect around the world of being, you know, an attracting leading scientist that we would, the state parliament effectively is saying that they can't be trusted to go about their work. So the the point is for the research community is that any dealings with GM material before that commercialisation is already, it is already managed by the Office of the Gene Technology Regulator at a federal level. So there's a whole heap of 
regulatory hurdles they have to overcome to work with GM material and apply gene technology. Now, what we do in South Australia is on top of that, we impose a whole new range of re- uh, regulatory restrictions about conducting research trials, about handling material. So it's really we're kicking an own goal in that respect where we're basically adding cost to doing business and where you've got scarce research dollars available in agricultural research, clearly decisions being made to conduct the field trials and to look at you know, other opportunities for commercialisation and, and by that I mean applying gene technology for new traits such as drought tolerance or frost tolerance, you know, some real agronomic hurdles that our farmers are wanting to overcome to remain productive. That research is occurring outside of South Australia. So we've got the University of Adelaide based here. They're conducting trials at the moment in Western Australia. And the problem is in in going about that is that we've removed any incentive for commercialisation. So what that means is research there's no point conducting research trials here if there's no path to market. So I think what we saw this week during the parliamentary debate was a real convergence of our scientific community coming together, pointing to the fact that we've got a world-class federal regulatory scheme, that it's highly regulated, that we've got experts making determination about what conditions should exist in the application of that technology, and then we've got state parliament adding this unnecessary red tape And I think there's a growing sense of frustration, particularly around some of our researchers, that they want to remain in South Australia and adapt their work to South Australian conditions, and that can't happen while we've got this ridiculous moratorium in place. We're speaking with Caroline Rhodes. She's the CEO of Grain Producers South Australia, and we're speaking about the moratorium that's happening on GE crops in the state of South Australia. This is the Talking Biotech Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment. The Talking Biotech Podcast is a sole production of Kevin Folta. The opinions expressed are those of him and his guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the University of Florida or the faculty of the Horticultural Sciences Department, its staff, students, custodians, maintenance folks, ladies in the cafeteria, or anybody else. But then again, they probably do. It is science, after all. But let it be said that this podcast is independent of the University of Florida in every way you can imagine, except that the host works there, at least for the time being. This podcast was recorded, produced, promoted, and distributed on personal time, using personal equipment, and personal hygiene products most of the time. The website and hosting are paid 100% by Kevin Folta personally. Now, as you might guess, there is a good rationale for having to make these very clear statements. Suffice it to say, the enemies of science and reason continue to exert unfortunate pressures that threaten the long-term sustainability of this educational vehicle. And now, back to the podcast. And now we're back on the Talking Biotech podcast. We're speaking with Caroline Rhodes. She's the CEO of Grain Producers South Australia, or Grain Producers SA, as we always called it when we were there. Um, And we're talking about the continuing moratorium on GE crops in the state of South Australia. And uh, Caroline, did you hear the uh, song by, um, what was his name now? Uh, By 
uh, Blakey, John Blakey. Did you hear this? It's doing the rounds on Twitter. Yeah, John Blakey, I guess that was a... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's listen to it right here. It just got a really nice commentary on the situation. Labor, the Greens and SA Best are expected to combine to knock out genetically modified crops being grown in SA. The government had wanted to lift the moratorium in South Australia. Farmers are calling for the ban on growing GM crops to go. What would you think if I said you could plant a whole crop that's resistant to drought? Wheat that has ears that don't care if it's dry with no rainfall, you know they'll still sprout. We'll certify all our crops with GM. Mm, don't deny us the chance of GM. Oh, we'll modify all our crops with GM. Will your seed have my body? There's no evidence that it does. Can it feed everybody? Yes, we'll have more than enough. Politicians are dumb Yes, I'm certain that they're morons all the time Connie Gonaris is one of them Yes, and ignoring the farmers is a crime Oh, they're too dumb to allow us GM Oh, they stuff around while we wait for GM Oh, they've got a vote to allow the GM the farmers can stop while we wait for GM, while we wait for GM. Yeah, so, you know, it, it kind of sums it up pretty well. And, and it's good that people are putting that kind of energy into popularizing what is really a, ultimately a bad decision that's happening there in South Australia. Um, when we were listening to the arguments, a lot of, and it's funny, I had some brutal insomnia the other night. And so I got to enjoy this discussion firsthand on the internet in the middle of the night. Um, and I got to see the um, room that I actually was in. I actually was in parliament there. A lot of discussion was made about how can they be so excited? And then mostly the Greens and another party. Can't remember how this breaks down party wise, but how they can be so excited about the science of climate change, yet against the genetic engineering and, and the crops, the freedom of farmers to choose what they want to choose. And how did, did is that coming up all the time when you listen to the discussion? I think that that level of hypocrisy has been pointed out and certainly I've enjoyed um, making that point in media. What's been really great this week has, has been the media coverage that we've got. So this has been an issue that's effectively sat there as a dormant political matter. So the legislation's been in place since 2004 and the only people that have really been aware of it and have been frustrated have been the grain producers wanting to access the technologies. But what we've seen through the parliamentary debate is that it's effectively gone mainstream and I think it's really refreshing when you hear, um, you know, a popular comedy um, host here in, in Adelaide really taking the mickey out of the way in which this parliamentary debate's occurred because some of the arguments really do, I think, um, reek of, of rank hypocrisy. And we've got a situation where we've got one of the, the parties, as you've referred to, so we needed two more votes in the upper house of our state parliament to allow or to not vote, if you like, against the, the regulation, which is actually what happened. 
um, and that particular party don't have a position at all on GM crops. So we were trying to engage on the policy, trying to you know educate in terms of the way in which the industry can manage any market risk, and we were just confronted with a very basic argument about parliamentary process. And I think what we've done really well is run a positive campaign. We've used it as an opportunity to build trust in the farming community. And I think that's really been a hallmark of the way in which we've approached this is, is look at the evidence, participate in all the different forms of inquiry and public consultation. And really, when it came down to it in the last 24 hours before that vote were to take place, it came down to a very tenuous argument. And I think most of the population looking in and being casual observers of this has, has seen that because some of the arguments of you, as you pointed out, are completely uh, in contradiction with um, with good science, but also the calls for a climate emergency. Um, so I did find it amusing that I had a politician who ended up voting in favour to continue the ban had to cut the conversation short because she had to run off to a climate change protest. Well, you know, when I'm talking about needing to get research trials being conducted in South Australia for drought-tolerant wheat, I do find that somewhat anomalous. Well, I was able to watch the last bit of the discussion, and your Minister of Trade, the last name was Ridgeway, was fantastic. And he really spelled it out, and you could see his frustration. He was just boiling over because of this. And then the next person who came up was a, a guy, last name of Parnell, who said, well, they had five scientists who were all conflicted, who you can't believe a word they say, but here's a list of 30 great scientists and from great institutions all over the world. Do you remember, um, or did you read the letter that he had and see the list of scientists that he accumulated? Uh, look, I have tried to um, not take too much of my time um, by reviewing some of these arguments that Mark Parnell puts forward, but um, certainly the um, the way in which that letter was brought about was in response to an open letter by the, five of our eminent scientists here in South Australia who took the unusual move of, of publishing an open letter in our local paper. Um, and it had huge traction, and I think that's when people started to stop and listen and think, well, if we're if we're looking at um, addressing the challenges of climate change, if and don't forget, a lot of our farmers at the moment are in drought, and a lot of our farmers have also lost yield potential because of frost. So you know the actual the hostile environment in which our farmers earn their living um, requires cutting edge research, and that includes adoption of technology, whether that be plant breeding or you know, agricultural engineering, the, you know, application of, of new um, ag tech um, opportunities is something that the government's heavily investing in and we see this as being no different. And I think the way in which um, the community was subjected to this debate, um, so really you've, you've had the farming community up against this very tiny group of activists and, and obviously uh, they ran out of people to continue to, to raise a conspiracy theories, to put doubt on, on science, to put doubt on the regulatory system, and they've reached out and have got this collection of disparate uh, science, well, loosely constructed science um, experts um, by name only. Um, and look, Mark Parnell, he's, he, it's a belief system to him. It is almost, um, he, he will never be convinced of the merits of the argument. So, you know, from a, a strategic point of view, I don't spend a lot of time trying to counter that because I think what's happened is that the claims get so conflated 
and so outrageous that they end up having no credibility. And I think the way in which Mark has gone about this, even the people, the two parties that supported the Greens' disallowance motion have ended up distancing themselves and have made it clear that there's an open door to the science uh, argument that they weren't going to argue against these um, eminent scientists that um, have have made the case for removing the GM moratorium. So I think the attitude's shifting and hopefully we can isolate some of the more extreme anti-GM campaigners um, because I think, you know, there is a genuine need at the moment when we do have farming communities suffering the impact of drought. Um, now is not the time to withhold any opportunity for them um, to remain viable and, and to deal with the climate variability that our farmers here in Australia are facing. So um, that's the irony, I guess, is that the arguments against GM are being led against, uh, are led really by the environmental activists who are protesting to demand action on climate change. Well, I know that maybe you didn't spend a lot of time with the letter, but it was brought up by Parnell in that hearing. And he said, you know, look at these eminent scientists, the list of these eminent experts from who are independent and who are, you know, who are from great places and great universities. And among them, and I'm just going to do this because listeners to the podcast, these are familiar names, uh, Judy Carmen who is uh, who published this uh, rather low impact study that was highly flawed on uh, glyphosate and pig stomachs a few years ago. People might remember that one. Um, there were some, uh, you know, Michael Antonio, who's never liked a single GE product, who's been very critical forever. Jonathan Latham, who isn't a uh, practicing scientist. He's an online crank who just uh, creates noise and, and um, you know, and uh, uncertainty. Um, folks like John Fagan, who is a Maharishi Institute guy who has been against genetic engineering forever. He runs Health Research Institute, which is a laboratory in Fairfield, Iowa, connected with Jeffrey Smith and all those guys. Um, Doug Gurry and Sherman, who bounced around from place to place saying that, you know, there is no effect on yield. There is no effect on yield. We never put in yield traits. You know, you see yields as a function of uh insect pressure, weed pressure. Sometimes you see improvements, sometimes you don't, but you use less herbicide and less money to get there. Um, Jill Eric uh, Seralini, the lumpy rat guy, um, Brendan Hoare, uh, uh, who was a, uh, in New Zealand, has a, runs a business in organic food. Stephanie Seneff, who we know from writing the uh, kind of goofy reviews, uh, Ray Seidler, Vandana Shiva, Hector Valenzuela, uh, and Don Huber, my buddy at the end there, who Huber was the guy who said that, who wrote a letter to the U.S. government saying to uh, this Ag Secretary Tom Filsack, saying that there was an organism in GE crops that was killing plants and killing people and scares the hell out of people about it and causes abortions in cattle. Uh, he never showed any evidence of that, despite saying it, he had it isolated and it was being sequenced. And it was being, uh, you know, he soon would release the data. So this is just a little snapshot of the folks who wrote the letter that was used as evidence to maintain the moratorium. And it has great weight with politicians who don't know one way or the other. And that's the kind of underhandedness that's happening inside of this particular movement. And so what other some of the things that you've seen that have been most egregious 
with respect to the way that they've either distorted the reality or really tried to affect the politicians who are going to be making the votes. Well, it's interesting because Judy Carmen's obviously here in Adelaide and she's a committed anti-GM activist and, and really spent a lot of time this week on local media, whether that be radio, um, but also coordinating this, this group of, um, of individuals that, as you've just listed. Um, so Judy is certainly, she's been around in this debate for the, 20, you know, the last 20 years. There's also another group called the Gene Ethics Network which are an activist group specifically to um, stop the uh, development of gene technology. Uh, They've been disruptive to research trials in the past, but they've really been, I guess, the nameplate in relation to the anti-GM movement. So, look, we've had a a range of claims made. I think what's been unfortunate and what we've tried to do as part of this debate is to move it on from Roundup Ready Canola. Like we're talking about a variety and a, a, a... a system, if you like, of um, herbicide tolerance that has been in place now for 15 years and and used in various applications um, with new canola varieties. But what we're looking at is moving the debate on from that because at the same time, of course, you know, we are facing a lot of concern um, and misinformation about about application of chemicals and glyphosate in particular. And that's really, I guess, converged on our push to get rid of the GM moratorium. So what we've been really cognizant on uh, is to look forward and say, well, what other varieties are coming down the down the pipeline? And one that is really exciting and will shift the debate of being about agronomic traits to being about consumer benefits, and that's omega-3 canola. So that will allow um, growers to basically develop a functional food. And the irony is that it will be the GM growers that are going to demand really strict segregation in order to extract a market premium. So that canola variety is being developed in conjunction with, again, government agencies. So I think that may well shift the debate. But the frustration for me has been that um, when we've engaged about the need to remove the GM moratorium, it's been seen through the prism of existing varieties as opposed to understanding that what we need to do is provide the incentive for, for investment in the longer term and see how this technology can be readily applied to to meet some of the challenges of the future. So we've been really trying to focus it in in looking ahead. So we've used a lot of young growers in particular that are talking about their need to have certainty and an optimistic future to grow the industry and their attitude to adopting uh, technology and, and relying upon our science-based regulation for safety um, has really been a, a good message that's resonated. But I think the dangerous thing has been is criticising the way in which um, our gene technology regulator goes about assessing human health and environmental risk. And when you start putting doubts in the minds of consumers and members of the community about the integrity of our science-based regulatory scheme, I think that's really reprehensible because it creates a, a fear that is entirely... Um, based on a, a different agenda. So it, it, it's an it's an argument of convenience to drum up fear and all it does is erode public confidence in institutions. So we've seen that with the chemical regulator and, and now we're, you know, really seeing this argument being used to undermine the credibility and integrity of the experts that reside at the Office of Gene Technology Regulator. And I think, you know, that's really where the scientific community has been enlivened to stand up for it and to say... 
look, we've got world-class regulation and we need to go about our business in, in undertaking research. You know, that's really an important part to remember is that you know, I don't know how that's going to backfire on them ultimately, that when you start to erode the trust in food and the safety of food, and the regulatory system and the oversight systems and the scientists that are speaking out, you really do a lot of damage to the, the, the public thinking and the public, public progress with respect to food and with respect to farming. And this is a great example of how the best technologies are needed, the best technologies are available, and the best technologies are being held back because of a weird political agenda that is that is is there from these anti-GMO folks digging in their heels in the last places where it exists, where you know where they can, and so is this totally dead at this point, or is there a chance that something else can happen to reverse it? So what happened on Wednesday night in state parliament is that the upper house, so we've got um, two chambers of of parliament. So one of those chambers, the Legislative Council, struck down the regulation that the minister was proposing. And if the disallowance motion would have failed, we would have seen growers on mainland South Australia having choice. Um, We're going to address some of the arguments put forward because there were so many straw man arguments about parliamentary process, which I won't bore your uh, audience about, but effectively we've we've won the policy debate, Kevin, and I think certainly your contribution in, in coming to South Australia and, and before you, Stuart Smythe, and other leading international experts coming out and engaging across the political divide with the community and obviously with support of our um, grower organisations. I'm really proud of the campaign we've run and I, I think we've got genuine support. So if it does come down to a technical procedural argument that has been put forward by a small number of politicians, I'm not giving up hope. I think we are on the right side of history with this one and the way in which we re-engage is to address some of their concerns, to start looking at practical measures such as reducing the burden, as I've outlined, about conducting research trials, looking at some of the practical considerations that the Act actually stops things such as transporting GM seed through the state so if we can come up with some practical measures and remain engaged, I think, you know, over time, and I've been in this debate since uh, 2004, wearing different hats, obviously, during that time, um, I think we are, we've done a, a great job in, in raising the level of awareness. And I think if we were to simply abandon our cause at this point over a, a technical procedural argument that's been mounted by a number of ill-informed politicians, um, I think what we we wouldn't be serving our growers. So we're determined to see this through and I'm really looking forward to the way in which uh, we can use this as as an opportunity. And I think the way in which our industry has been positioned, particularly in the last week, we've had front page stories, we've had editorials, um, the momentum's behind us. So we just need to keep the engagement and make sure that we can um, hopefully, as industry, work with both government and uh, the opposition here in South Australia to, to cross that political divide and actually see a sensible path forward. Well, Caroline Rhodes, thank you very much for taking the time to meet with me. It's really nice to hear your voice again, and I really appreciate the hospitality when I was there. I had a lot of fun. Um, what I really would urge people to do is to keep an eye on the story, because if it can happen there, it can happen anywhere. And the tactics that are being applied to subvert science, to subvert reason, to subvert farmer choice 
are the same kind of tactics that we're seeing coming up around the globe if, in, with regard to glyphosate and banning in uh, various places or with even the crops themselves. And just watch this. And so, Caroline, if, if people wanted to follow this discussion, where would they look online or on Twitter? Um, how could they follow you or Grain Producers Essay? Sure. So Grain Producers Essay, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and you can find us at grainproducersessay.com.au. Subscribe to our newsletters and we'd love your support. Yes, please give them your support. And they're wonderful farmers and I and such a they're so engaged and they love the science. And it, it makes me so happy to um, be able to lend support to them. So please, please follow this. Thank you so much for joining me, Caroline. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. As usual, write a review on iTunes. And some changes are coming. Um, A lot of things that are being driven by forces I can't control. And it's an awful story, but we're going to have to have a few changes here and uh, hopefully be able to keep the podcast going. So write reviews. Give it a bunch of stars or do something because the more good feedback we have, the better it will be for the longevity of this particular medium. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.